Welcome back to the I'm Moving to Italy podcast. This is Nathan Heinrich. And I'm Vera Sarzano. And we would like to welcome you back to Season 6, Episode 3. Ciao, Nathan. Ciao, Vera. Buongiorno. Come stai? Molto bene. Grazie, tu? Anche io. Grazie mille. Remember how I told you several times that in Italy everything takes a really long time and I have no idea why? Now, when I left Northern Italy, I also left a car there, like an old, smart, you know, the tiny, tiny car, like that was still mine, but you know, my parents kept it and they used it sometimes. And now uh, they wanted to demolish it. And then they were like, oh, maybe there's someone who needs it. So we just give it for free. But of course you have all the papers you need to sign, but I'm here and I have absolutely no time to drive all the way up there to sign a document. This agency that takes care of these sort of things told me, you just need to sign the back. You see where it's signature, you sign it there, you sign it to us, and we will send you a car. And I'm like, that's great. So I did, and I showed them a you know, picture, a scan, and I was like, so I'm going to send you this, the original. And they're like, oh, yeah, but you need to fill the form on the top. I'm like, okay, what should I write there? Well, you should write all app. You know all the information about the person who's gonna buy your car and i'm like but i don't know who's gonna buy my car and giving it to a charity and they're gonna give it to someone so i needed to contact the charity they had all this document and went back and then back to the agency okay i have everything now is that okay can can i send it the original to you and they were like oh but this person was not born in italy so we need one more document so call again that per- the charity and the charity contacted that person again and yeah and then they gave me this document and I was like, is that okay now? Okay, yes, it's okay. You need another signature on the bottom and then you can send it to us. I'm like, okay, because once it's in the mail, I cannot change it because it's here. Okay, it's fine, go. One day later, they didn't even receive that yet. They call me and I'm like, oh, and we also need your ID and your codice fiscale. So can you send it to us? I'm like, sure. And then, one day later, they called me again and they were like, oh, and we also need a copy of the buyer's college fiscale and ID. And I'm like, you have his data already, all his information. You also need, and couldn't have told me before because I tried to come. So I had to call the charity again. This man works. Okay, so wait for him to get out of work, contact him. It's been a week. I'm not done yet. Sorry. I needed to, you know, bend a little bit, but this is Italy. Get ready if you're moving here. And don't try to sell a car, ever. Don't even try to donate one, apparently. <laughs> no. <laughs> My goodness. Wait a minute. You're talking about one of those little teeny tiny smart cars? Mm-hmm. I ride one. You have one of those? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. How cute. Now, did you enjoy driving that? It was kind of fun. And you know, it's um automatic car and I'm not used to it. Actually, it's kind of complicated. My father got it because he moved for a short period of time in the very center of Florence, basically the, 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 the very, very center where all of you have been. And it was crazy for parking, even if he had a permit. So he was like, okay, uh, I'll get a smart. You take my car, which was a big 
SUV for a while and then we'll see what's going on so but he didn't have time so back then I went to the car dealer I bought the smart so that's why it was in my name I used it for a couple of months then gave it to my dad and he gave me a big one and then when he moved out of Florence I kept that for another few months what I find to be so fascinating about what you just said is you said you had to get used to an automatic of course (laughs) <laughs> but what in the world is there to get used to? There's All you have to do is drink your caramel macchiato <laughs> and talk on your cell phone. Well, you know what? You need to get used to keep your left foot out of the way. <laughs> because for us, it's like, I need to use my left foot. You know, I need to push on the frizione. What's that called? Clutch. Clutch. Okay. <laughs> so the clutch... So what I did actually, because it's an automatic car, but you can also choose the consequenziale, sequenziale, sorry, sequenziale. So you decide up and down. So that helped a little bit. I don't like driving automatic cars. I like my gear stick. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree on that one because, man, these Italians, they they can hear me coming. (laughs) (laughs) Especially that... Right over here by the train station in this town. I don't know if you remember when you came here, you have to go up a little hill, just a tiny little hill to get to the train station. But the problem is at the top of that little hill is a crosswalk of people coming and going to the station. So that means quite often I'm flying through town in our little Peugeot. And right by the time I get to that little hill, some group of people are crossing the crosswalk and I'm sitting there going, and then when it's finally my turn to go, because I'm so afraid to pull my emergency brake and get out of gear or something or or whatever that I've never been very good about. So then when it comes time to get back into gear, I'm like, And the car is like practically smoking and everybody's staring like, who the hell is driving that car? Okay, why do you take your gear? I mean, you keep your gear on all the time and you don't need your emergency brake. Just keep your foot on the brake and then just... Let's just put it this way, Veta. It's probably never going to get better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's, It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And... I hate to use the example of someone who's learned to walk without one of their legs, but like, let's say somebody like loses a leg and they, they figure out how to get around with just one. That's basically me here trying to drive a stick shift. I've learned how to basically crawl along the ground with my arms and one leg. <laughs> but you know what? When you're in Italy and you have this narrow road up and down, because I think something like 80% of our territory is either mountain or hills. Yep. You need your engine to really give 100% all the time. While automatic cars just decide when to change gear and it's not the same thing. So the car almost stops when you're going uphill. Automatic cars are perfect for the USA. You're driving, you know, in the Midwest, all flat, all big. You can take a nap while you're driving. But here you really need to change gear whenever you decide, especially if you're going uphill or if you need to pass a stupid tourist who can't drive. <laughs> oh, geez. See, in, in, in my opinion, I've always thought, thank God I have an automatic because there are hills. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, 
Vera, we've been getting a lot of really good feedback about these conversations that we're having in Italian that I find quite challenging, but also I'm learning a lot from having to talk about all these different topics in Italian for such a extended period of time. And some of your students have started incorporating that into their lessons with you during the week, haven't they? Yes, they have. They start by telling me what went wrong during their day or their week. Ciao, Irina. Or they told me that they listen to it again and again until they get every single word right. You know, read the transcription and then read it again. Uh, so that was just also amazing. And they have a lot of fun doing that because it's a real conversation in real Italian. And that's what they're going to face when they're moving to Italy. As long as everybody can tolerate my pronunciation issues, I guess that's all that matters. Your pronunciation is great. Don't worry about that. Ah, si, si, sicuro, sicuro. Okay, well, speaking of our conversations, Vera, I've got something I want to share with you that I experienced this week that I want to talk about. So let's get into that. But first, why don't you talk about our keywords and set things up for us? So our keywords for today are marciapiede, marciapiede, which is the sidewalk or pavement, whatever you want to call it. Now, sidewalk, you see, it's two words in one side because it's on the side of the street and walk because you walk on it. Well, in Italian, it's not that different. It's called marciapiede, where marcia is march, like the verb to march, like soldiers do, boom, 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 stomping their feet. And piede is foot. So it's where you march with your feet. Marciapiede, in marciapiede. Then we have the word martello, which is kind of random, but Nathan will get to it. Martello, it's hammer. So, martello. And finally, we have pietra, pietra. Now, pietra is stone, but can also be a little rock or a bigger rock or the material itself. We have a lot of words for rock in Italian, let's say that. And one is pietra, which is stone, actually, but still pietra. And then we have an idiom for today. The idiom is avere una spina nel fianco. Avere una spina nel fianco. Or also essere una spina nel fianco, so someone can be this. And spina is thorn, and fianco is side. So I guess you already know, most of you already understood what that means, but let's see from the context. So Nathan, come è andata questa settimana? Questa settimana, mentre lavoravo al computer, ho sentito uno strano rumore fuori dalla finestra. Sembrava quasi una canzone o qualcuno che suonava un strumento, non lo so. Ho fatto finta di non sentire e ho continuato a lavorare, però il rumore era sempre più forte. Tink, tink, tap, tap, tink, 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 tink. <laughs> Alla fine mi sono alzato e sono andato in balcone a vedere. Vera, ti ricordi il mio balcone, vero? Certo che me lo ricordo. Ci sono tante piante 
e anche l'olivo che ti ho regalato io. Ah sì, l'olivo, esatto. Ho guardato giù e c'era un uomo che stava cambiando le pietre del marcipiede. Stanno rifacendo il marcipiede intorno al palazzo del comune e c'erano un sacco di operai che mettevano le pietre nuove. Avevano dei martelli piccolissimi con cui tolevano la terra per il poi fissare le pietre. Gli operai martellevano in continuazione sulle pietre. Ecco che cos'era in realtà la canzone che sentivo. Mm-hmm. Era bello osservare quello che facevano e sentire il rumore del martelli sulle pietre. Quindi sono sceso e gli ho chiesto se potevo girare un video. Mi hanno risposto certo! E adesso lo carico sul mio profilo Instagram, così potete vedere anche voi come vengono costruiti i tradizionali marcipiedi italiani. <ride> Vuoi sapere una cosa, Nathan? Quando mi hai detto che volevi parlare dei tradizionali marciapiedi italiani, non ho capito subito che cosa intendevi, perché per me, che sono italiana, quelli sono semplicemente marciapiedi. Però hai ragione, così esistono praticamente solo in Italia. E infatti non li ho mai visti da nessun'altra parte. In molte città in Europa e nel mondo ci sono marciapiedi fatti con i sassi o, o con le pietre, ma in Italia usiamo cubetti di porfido, una pietra vulcanica del Lazio. Sono quadrati o rettangolari. Questi cubetti di porfido queste pietre speciali, per me sul lavoro sono la mia spina nel fianco. La tua spina nel fianco? Cioè? Sì, perché quando in un libro che devo tradurre trovo la parola cobblestone, non so mai come tradurla. Porfido è il tipo di pietra, ma è un nome molto scientifico. Noi li chiamiamo San Pietrini, dalla Basilica di San Pietro, perché sono usati in tutta Roma e anche nel centro Italia. Oppure, quando sono un po' più piccoli, più scuri, li chiamiamo Bolognini, perché così erano e sono quelli di Bologna e del nord Italia. Ma se sto traducendo un libro ambientato a Londra, o a Dublino, o a Boston, non posso scrivere San Pietrini o Bolognini, perché sono nomi italiani di pietre che si trovano solo in Italia. Ah, certo! Hai ragione! È un mestiere difficile il mio! <laughs> ok, that was a very interesting back and forth. I'm curious how many of you understood not only what I was trying to say, But what Vera was saying, because it was um, 
it was something that was kind of interesting that happened to me this week. You know, I spend a lot of time at home working and sometimes I'm sitting here feeling a bit trapped like a lab rat working in front of a computer all day, which is something I really don't enjoy and wishing that I could get out and experience just a little bit more of Italy. This week, they were tearing up the sidewalk and installing a new sidewalk. So I'm sitting in front of my computer and I start to hear this like tapping sound, almost like a little song, like someone's playing an instrument. Tap, 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 tink, 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 tink. And in fact, if you listen, I'm gonna play a little clip of it right here so you can hear exactly what it was sounding like. that oh yeah and could you work with that well actually i was like what is making that little sound that little instrument so i went out to the balcony and there sitting in the sidewalk was a very fat man and i mean very fat like an american <laughs> and his job was to sit on the ground and a big pile of stones that were behind him he was taking them and he was placing these square little stones in to create this new sidewalk. And the sound, that tapping sound, was the sound of his hammer digging and then tapping each stone into place. Tink, 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 tink. But he did this really interesting thing with the hammer. He would like tap a stone into place. And as he was reaching for another stone, he's like tapping all the other stones around it. I'm sure he has a reason for doing it, but it was like, he was like playing an instrument, like, you know, a xylophone or something and he was like just tapping away so anyway i was filming him and then i decided oh this would be a really interesting thing to share with well first of all everyone on instagram but also share with you and i was like let me run down and and see if i can take a closer video of what he's doing because i've always wanted to see somebody doing this in person and and film it so i can put it you know make a video and put it online so i ran down i asked him if i could take a video of him he started said, sure, whatever, like, yeah, you're you're irritating me, but go ahead, take a video of me, turn me into a spectacle. So I took a video, and anyway, that was that little sound of him tapping away with his hammer on the stones, uh, making that traditional Italian sidewalk. So after listening to your story, that's what I said. You know what, Nathan? When you told me you wanted to talk about the traditional Italian sidewalks, at first, I, I, I didn't understand what you meant because I'm Italian. And for me, those are just sidewalks, <laughs> nothing traditional or special. They're just regular sidewalks. But yeah, you're right. They only exist in Italy. And then you say like something like I've never seen those anywhere else. And it's kind of true, even though in many cities in Europe and around the world, you can find sidewalks made of you know stones or with little rocks or whatever uh but here in italy they're different because we use what in italian we call porfido i think it's porphyry in english i don't know that's what i found uh it's a volcanic rock anyway uh that is a dig out from a cave in lazio and it's shaped like little cubes and these cubes these special rocks are 
a thorn in my side for work. Now, you know, uh, to have a thorn in one side is an idiom you also have uh, in English, very similar, but we use it very often. It's like a pain, you know where, right? So that's what it means. Una spina nel fianco. And then I explain to you why it's a spina nel fianco for me, because when I'm translating a book from English into Italian and I find the word cobblestone from, you know, a book, I never know how to translate it into Italian because porfido, it's the kind of rock, right? And it's a very scientific name. Normally in Italian, we call them cubetti di porfido, so little cubes of porfido, but we call them San Pietrini, San Pietrini or Bolognini. Now, San Pietrini get their names from the St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome because they were typical of Rome all over. And uh, at one point, uh, the Pope decided to restore the whole St. Peter's uh, Cathedral, St. Peter's Square, and use those. So from that moment, they were called San Pietrini because there were some St. Peter Cathedral in Rome. Or in central Italy, they are a little bit different. They're a little bit darker in color and more, uh, you know, kind of smaller. And they're called Bolognini from the city of Bologna. Mm -hmm. But when I'm translating a book that is set in London, Londra in Italian, Dublin, Dublino in Italian, or Boston, and I just said Boston, like I say, Nathan, right? <laughs> so when a book is set in London, Dublin, or Boston, or whatever, I can't write San Pietrini or Bolognini because it makes no sense because those are very Italian names for something that, you know, you can only find in Italy with that specific shape. So, yeah, it's a spina nel fianco. And then I just said it. It's a difficult job. Yeah. That's my job. That's what I chose. I'm sure that you always come up with the right term and people know exactly what you mean in your translations, Veda. But anyway, that was a really interesting experience. And we both learned something this week about how Italian sidewalks are made and how they're a little different from other places in the world, right? Oh, yeah. And we learned you are officially old. Oh, did we? Yeah, because <laughs> we have this kind of side show. In Italy, we have a lot of road works all the time, right? Restoration works, buildings, but especially excavations for roads. And it's typical. Old men stop by, put their hands behind their back and just stare at the workers. And that's what you did. I did feel like a geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> by the time this episode is released, you'll be able to go on my personal Instagram page, Nathan Heinrich on Instagram. And you can see exactly what I'm talking about, these traditional Italian sidewalks and this one that's literally being installed right across the street from my balcony here in Conagliano. And you know what? In Tuscany, we don't have many San Pietrini or Bolognini, especially here in the area around Siena. We have Pietra Serena, which is the kind of stone typical of this area. So there are still stone sidewalks or streets in the city center, but there are larger kind of big ones and it's beautiful. So did you talk about Italian architecture and Tuscan architecture and Tuscan cities with your guests today? 
Well, we didn't necessarily talk about the different types of architecture in my interview with today's incredible guest, but we definitely talked about life in Tuscany. I'm very excited about sharing that with you. So let's jump into my interview with our very special guest today, Annette Joseph. Annette is, as you will hear, a really remarkable woman who has roots in Italy that go back more than 20 years. In fact, her first trip to Italy was when she was in college as a teenager. After she was married and had kids, she sort of rediscovered her love for Italy and specifically Tuscany and Liguria. She spent time in both of these regions, so you'll get to hear. But today, of course, we're focusing on Tuscany. Now, we're going to get into all of this, but not only is Annette an incredible stylist, and has been featured on television and in magazines like Better Homes and Gardens, El Decor, you name it, she's been in all the top magazines and done work with some of the most incredible celebrities and designers in the world and brands and companies. She's also a published author. She's published so many different types of books from memoirs about her life in Italy. I've talked about them before here on the podcast, by the way. My favorite is called Italy is My Boyfriend. Just that title alone should tell you what an interesting person Annette is. But she's written memoirs, cookbooks. She has also recently just published her very first novel, which is very exciting. So Annette is, not only is she a a wonderfully talented person, she's also a really lovely human being and so fascinating and so funny. We have a connection that makes me feel like I've got a new friend here in Italy and I'm so excited to go and visit her beautiful place, La Fortezza in Northern Tuscany. So let's jump into my interview today with the incomparable Annette Joseph. I've really been enjoying your YouTube videos. Those are great. You're like killing it with YouTube. You've got it down. You know, I, I've been on uh, television a lot, so I'm, be- I'm pretty comfortable in front of a camera. So, yeah, so I ignore everything and just do my own thing. But, yeah, I mean, I really like looking at real estate. I mean, it is really my jam. I mean, it is something that makes me very happy. I don't know if it's a hobby or what it is, but it really is wonderful. I love it. I see that. And yes, I, I can tell you're very comfortable in front of the camera. It's very natural, which is good. Yeah. I mean, I really am myself. I mean, you know, I mean, the truth is, is that uh, some people really don't like me and some people love me. So I'm, I always say I'm like black licorice. You love me or you hate me. So I love that we got right into this, but um, I just like being around guys. And so that's like the best of all worlds for me. And I've always been around that because I was, you know, I started off as a a dresser and then a store designer and then you know in photography and stuff you know it's very artistic crowd so yeah so i was i've always been and my dad was a painter who's a master's painter so there were always models sort of walking in and out of our house too and my dad was very open for like a really old guy like his best friend in hungary I'm, my parents are hungarian um wow his best friend in Hungary was, you know, a gay guy and and they were very openly cute and affectionate to each other. So like my dad's best friend growing up and, you know, and then they went through a lot together, you know, we're Jewish. And so, you know, there was like a, a lot of stuff that he went through with this one with Tony Bocci. <laughs> Tony Bocci. 
Yeah, Tony was his name and Bashi's uncle in Hungarian. Yeah. That explained a lot about your openness to the world. Yeah. Well, I grew up uh, going to Budapest every summer. And so, um, you know, my husband and I both, I mean, he's German and um, his parents are, you know, immigrated from Germany. But mm-hmm. so we both are very much about living in the EU. So for us, it was, it was like our summer, like our happy memories. And so, you know, moving here was not as, you know, dramatic. You know, it wasn't as different because I grew up in Europe. So I'm so curious about your life in Atlanta. Is that the only place you've lived in the United States? Where have you lived in the United States? Yeah, well, I grew up in Wisconsin. That's where my parents immigrated to. So I'm really a Midwesterner. And I met my husband there who he's he's a doctor and he was going to he went to medical school there and then he did his residency there. And I met him during his residency. And uh, we, you know, we met, fell in love, got married, um, and moved to New York City, where he's from. He's from Queens. Um, he always says, I'm just a Jew from Queens. He's very funny when I ask him questions. He's like, hey man, I don't know. I'm just a Jew from Queens, you know, because we have like farming questions here, things like that, where I'm like, what do you think? He's like, I don't know. Um, so uh, so then we both went to uh, Atlanta, and the reason we did is I was a window dresser in New York, store planner, and then Macy's was opening a store there, and so and my husband got an offer from a hospital sort of at the same time, and my mother-in-law's psychic told her that we would wind up in Atlanta. So once she told us that, we were like, yeah, we're definitely moving there, so, <laughs> which is pretty much how we operate. So uh, Frank um, started his practice. He was an orthopedic hand surgeon. He recently retired. He was, you know, an orthopod for a long time. And we stayed in Atlanta because when you're a doctor, you don't really move around a lot because you're building a practice. And then I um, started off uh, in store design and, you know, display and a window dresser and all that. And I... um, kind of went branched out on my own and started working with a photographer to photograph our portfolio. And he said, oh, you know, you're really good at this. Like you could work in photography. You could be a photo stylist, which I had no idea what that was. And so he convinced me to come down to the studio and see what they did. So I did. And I sort of fell in love with that world and met my very first art director. I had no idea there were such people that kind of like guided the story of the photo shoot. And and so I worked in his studio for about three years and it was great because he shot lots of stuff. And so that's sort of how I wound up working and living in Atlanta. And, and I had an extremely creative job and worked in media, which I love. And, you know, I've always loved like magazines and I love interiors. And so I did interior style for a long time. And then I got bored of it, went to cooking school because I wanted to be a food stylist. And I had worked with food stylists at the studio at Bernard's studio um, when I was uh, first learning how to be a stylist. And I, it was kind of good because he shot lots of different things. It kind of snowballed into me being a photo stylist and a food stylist. And, you know, I did interiors for like, and 12 years and yeah so and in the meantime we went on vacation a lot to italy because it was my favorite place and rented houses and we did that for 10 years with our kids and then we bought our first house on the italian riviera flat 
and I renovated it. So that kind of got me started renovating a place here, which is, as you know, very daunting. Okay, so you're doing your thing. Meanwhile, Frank has his, he's a hand surgeon, right? Like right, so he's, yeah, he's an orthopedic surgeon, yeah, who specializes okay. in hands. So he's gone all the time. He goes to work at five in the morning and comes home at nine o'clock at night. So I don't see him very much, especially when he's first starting his practice. He's very busy. So yeah, so I basically raised our kids, brought them to Europe, we would stay for six weeks. He would stay for two. But you, I mean, I've always traveled and felt very comfortable in, you know, everywhere. It's just my yeah. personality. So I've, you know, never met a stranger. You can ask my kids. It really embarrasses them. I just talk to everybody. Although my daughter's like that now. She talks to everybody too. Um, but yeah, so, uh, he just kind of let me do my thing, which was very cool. You know, so when we built a house in Atlanta, he let me do my thing. He's a very supportive guy. He's been really great here. You know, he's retired, so that's really freaking him out, but he's figuring it out. <laughs> I'm sure he's intense in his own way and his work, but Correct. he seems as a partner to be the most chill, trust you, let you do it, Annette. You just do your thing, Annette. You're having fun. Yeah. I trust you. Like, hands off, but also like a really good supportive partner. We are, we are definitely partners. If that's one thing we have taught our children is that when you're married, you should be partners. I mean, all the other stuff is great, but at the end of the day, this is a sort of a business that you're running. And, um, you know, when we had kids, then there were four of us that we had to think about, like how, what, how did these decisions affect our children? And we were always on the same page about that as far as like if we made decisions, you know, the kids would be sort of involved. The kids like coming to Italy, but they grew up here. So this isn't, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. Like Levi really likes, Levi's our son. He really likes coming here a lot and he feels super comfortable. Like his Italian comes back, he drives stick shift, he has all his mates here, he does things, you know. Alex is not is not as passionate about Italy. She's a little more nonchalant about it. So she'll come on vacation, but she's not as like invested as Levi is. But um, but they both are extremely familiar with Italy and are very comfortable here, which is kind of fun to make kids sort of a citizen of the world. So that was sort of our goal. But yeah, Frank is Frank lets me do my thing. He trusts my judgment. I mean, he's like the ultimate feminist too, which is really nice. You know, he's just like a very open person. A very down to earth, grounded human being who mm. allows you to like, kind of be the sparkly one. Well, he does. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the star of the show is Frank. So, you know, you have to remember that the sparkly one is not always the star of the show, right? So he's the one that everybody likes the best and has the best stories. And when we have retreats, the ladies love him. You know, he's just got a good bedside manner, you know? I mean, he he always has. So, I mean, I he is definitely my go-to for any kind of advice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have, you know, we didn't really realize, well, maybe he did. I didn't really realize this. Our kids pointed this out. So when they were older, like going to college and stuff and they're, and they would never tell people that we have a house in Italy. They were sort of a little bit like embarrassed about it. 
um, in the sense that they just didn't want to brag, you know, and they also didn't tell a lot of people that their father and I sort of lived separately because we did. I mean, the first few years, like 12 years, three months apart every year. And and then when we did this house, it was like six months apart, although he would come in and out to Italy. But we have a very alternative marriage, which we didn't really realize because it works really well for us. And, you know, we're very happy together and we like each other. And it's really nice to have that distance. That's the issue we have right now is we're now together. And it's like, oh, God, what do we do now? Because we've never lived together. But um, when my son started dating this girl he's dating now, who I like very much, um, that's when he said, you know, my parents sort of have an alternative relationship, which uh, when he told me that, I was like, oh, my God, I guess we do. But I never thought of it that way. And I, it, I mean, my daughter's married and, you know, her husband works a ton and she does her own thing. And I mean, definitely, they're definitely mirroring their parents for sure. Maybe not Levi as much, but Alex definitely. Yeah. I just came off of eight months of being apart from Alessandra. I know. I, I've I've heard you talk about it on your podcast. And I, I'm like wondering how that's going. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, you you're right. You're right. And you're some of your books about being, you know, by yourself in Italy and then you calling Frank back and forth. And I was just like, man, I can really relate to this. And then yeah. you do have a major readjustment when you come back together. Well, there's a depth of loneliness that you feel when you move to a foreign country that nobody explains to you. And even though I had been coming to Italy forever, and even though, you know, I spent my youth in a foreign country, you know, there there's this fantasy and then there's a reality and then there's somewhere in between. And I, and I, you know, part of the reason I wrote my book, Italy is my boyfriend is because I wanted, you know, I get so many people saying, Oh, I want to be you. I want to be you. I want to be you, which is really, you know, nice. I mean, they mean it in a nice way, but they don't really understand sometimes like how hard it is to get to a point where you're super comfortable here and you have those, friends like you know today I went and hung out with a friend we both are sort of in the same business here and you know it's so nice to have this friend and it just it it, it it's funny we we had um coffee with some friends of mine from Alasio Leo who I write about in the book um and his wife Elizabeth and I mean there's such a sense like there was such a good sense when I saw them in the sense in in the sense that they're like my family and they got me through some really hard times. I know that sounds very dramatic to move to Italy and feel that way, but there's there was such a warmth there and such a family feeling when I saw them. It like it really carried me for the whole day, you know, when after I saw them. And and they were so cute. They're so kissy, and you know, it was it was just so it was just so nice, you know. And it takes. I mean, I've been here twenty years. So that's twenty years of you know investing yourself in something that you really want you know you have to i always say i'm like a pit bull you know no matter what happens i'm i'm staying i'm staying damn it you know <laughs> you must have felt really lonely sometimes oh god well the line a depth of loneliness is such a good line because that is it couldn't be said better 
you almost feel like you can't complain to anybody because you're right. living in Italy and it looks like, you know, let's be honest, we only share the best of our life online. So it looks like you're living some kind of a absurd dream. It doesn't really give you any room to ever complain because then you're a real a-hole because now you're right. living in Italy and complaining. <laughs> right, right. But, but I mean, we're, we are human and we adjust, you know, adjusting to things sometimes is very difficult. And, you know, just because you're living in Italy doesn't mean that you don't have challenges because you do, you know I mean? It's because we're living here. So it's the day to day. Like when people come on vacation, that's not the day to day. You know, it's, it's, you know, I have these retreats where people ask me about living here and, you know, that's all these ladies want to know about is, Oh, what is it like living here? And, and I'm like, you know, it is a lot like living in the United States because I have to go to the grocery store and I have to worry about laundry. And, you know, I it, it's, you know, I was just before I got on with you, I was folding 4,500 napkins because we had retreats. <laughs> so the laundry, I mean, it's like, why can't the laundry like fold them properly? And yeah. uh, so, you know, the, it, but it's you're living your life you know i mean people come here and they're they're on vacation and yeah. god when you have a house in italy everybody wants to come visit you my god you know people that i haven't heard from in years are just showing up at my door i have so many stories um yeah i know you do and okay let's go to that let's talk about that difficult people Difficult people. You know, we always tend to focus on the negative. So I'm going to start off by saying that 98% of the people that come here are fantastic. And then 2% have their own issues that have really nothing to do with me, but because they're in your home and they're um, going through something, you sort of have to be in their reality. And so, you know, I mean, instead of walking around saying people are a-holes, I really do try to figure out the best way to handle situations. And I, again, will go back to saying I am human. And so sometimes if people are really, you know, taking it out on me, I will have a harder time sort of like just swallowing everything and just big smile on my face. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of how we approach things here is that we just approach things from the point of view that it's not about me, it's about them. And we need to like manifest something that is going to make this person stop yelling or stop throwing a fit or stop being super demanding or critical or bummed out or whatever. So yeah, it's the hospitality business. There's two stories that come to mind. Actually, there's a whole bunch that come to mind, but there's two in particular. The one about the COVID tests and the people that you had everything set up for them. And one oh, woman- yeah. Those, people, yeah. Those people were assholes. That is like- Muffy honest to God, or whatever her name was. Yeah. I, well, that's not her name, but honest to God, those people were assholes. I mean, I. it's the only time I will say that with commitment, because if you- act badly you know yeah. i mean there's nothing we could do i mean the whole staff was freaked out by them um and that is like a, so a lot of stories in this is from italy is my boyfriend my second book or my second memoir about the retreats 
this was the only chapter that verbatim was true. A lot of the other stories are true, but there's a little bit of mashup going on. I figured that you're, you know, protecting the innocent and also the guilty, even though of they course. don't deserve to be protected. But well, no one knows who they are, but, but, you know, the people that work here and myself, you know, exactly. I mean, they were pissed. I mean, they wrote horrible reviews on every single one of my books. So the one star reviews that you see that are like, oh, she's a terrible person and don't buy this book. And it's not even, I don't understand this either. It's not even Amazon verified. Like that you have to verify. Like, but no, I mean, they were writing reviews like day one that my book came out. I'm like, how could you read the book? You're not even going to get it till the next day. You know, if my book comes out October 1st, you're not going to get it till October. What are you, speed reader? And you got it in the morning? You're like, I don't know. It was very weird. But yeah, but people are, people are, you know, if they're not nice, they're not nice. You're going to get written about. Sorry, Charlie. No, 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 no. <laughs> Truly, who's, who's got time? Well, that was the point is that, you know, they, they were, you know, they thought they were negative, but they weren't. Ha ha ha. So the, the, just so that people are listening, so they know. So we, during, you know, during COVID, like 2021, people were allowed to travel. So we had some groups and we had so many things in place, you know, we, and, and I will say this, Italy handled COVID extremely well. And we shot my cookbook during COVID. There were lots of rules, lots of regulations. Um, and that continued in 2021 because we did shoot my book in 2020, but I was allowed to come because I was a resident and wrote letters for people. It was like very complicated. And so in 2021, we had a few people come and this group came and we really had a very efficient way of getting everybody tested for COVID. We had a very, very excellent place that was like 30 minutes from here. We, you can set up a group appointment so that at 7.15, your entire group is, and they were extremely efficient. We did this a lot with our with our crew for my book. So I was, I was very like cognizant of how to do this. My husband is a doctor. I mean, he went there, very organized, you know, great people. And so we set this all up for them. And they sort of said, we don't, we don't really need that. And, and not only that, but our driver who took them truffle hunting was going to take them there first. So literally it's like 20 minutes out of their time to get this done. The results come in the afternoon. I print them off. I put all of the tests, the negative tests on everybody's bed so they can just put them in with their travel, travel documents. And that's it. And everybody did it. We had like 10 retreats and everybody but them did it because they had found a concierge in Italy to come, which by the way, no such thing. Just, I called my Italian girlfriends, my producing partner here who knows everything in the world. And she was like, there's no such thing in that. I mean, you know, if, if, if there is such a thing, it's gonna be scammy. And that's what happened is they essentially got scammed. They were told they were negative when the person left. And then when they got the results, you know, a couple of them were positive. It was just, but they weren't because they ended up going to, Pisa Airport and getting retested on Sunday and everybody was negative. And uh, so, you know, they went through all of this stuff when we could just handle everything for them. And they were really mean to everybody, including my staff, which really upsets me when people are yelling at people that work for me. So yeah, if you're going to come act like an asshole, then you're going to get written about my book for sure. They deserve <laughs> it. They acted very, very badly and continued to act badly by writing bad reviews on my book. 
there's no excuse for that kind of behavior. And I read that and I was cringing. And that was, of course, in <laughs> anybody who wants to know about these stories, my Italian guest book is uh, by Annette Joseph. And then, of course, she, we've mentioned it a couple of times. Italy is my boyfriend. I mean, they're both amazing books. But these stories are all in these two books, which are just amazing. Which, by the way, Annette, you sent these books to me. You mailed them to me. I've had such a good time with your books. And I'm currently reading your novel that you just published, which is so great. Thank you. So, so great. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your books. Let's talk about writing. Have you always known you wanted to be a writer? I mean, you just shared with us earlier, you shared with us about your career as a stylist, which by the way, you're not just like a behind the scenes. You're like a mega stylist. Like you are friends with magazine editors. Your best friend is the editor of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Now you're going to die when I tell you where it's based. It's based in Des Moines, Iowa and started off as a farming magazine. The ladies needed a magazine to read and that's where Better Homes and Gardens came from. Mm. That's where it started. And then, of course, it sort of spread all over. She is, my girlfriend, Oma, is the executive editor of the magazine. And she's been there a million years. And she's one of my close, she's like my sister, essentially. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to have very cool girlfriends that are all in media. A lot of editor-in-chiefs. And, yeah, I mean, I loved working in media. It was so much fun. Yeah, I mean, you've worked with a lot of great people. I could start name dropping, but like not everybody is like buddies with Gwyneth Paltrow. And I mean, you have like, you have been around and you've done it. Like, <laughs> I've like, been around, it's true. <laughs> Annette has been around, folks. She has lived and she is, is continuing to do so. Uh, so you've done, had this fabulous life as a stylist, which is definitely, I think, a career that, not a lot of people, like you said, know that it even exists or really understand right. what it is. But you, yeah. you basically make everything that you see in a magazine. You're the, you're the hands. Uh, someone that has your kind of a position is, is basically you're the mind and the mastermind behind all of these images looking so fabulous, especially the close-up shots and the food shots and all that stuff. So anyway, that's amazing. But then you decided to write your own cookbooks, and you've written two memoirs, and you've written a book about cocktails, and you've written now a novel. So like, what is it that you don't do? And how, <laughs> tell me how you got into writing. Like, have you always wanted to be a writer? You know, I, yes, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, you know, and I, 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 as with most things, I always sort of come across things. I always view life as a journey. And things sort of cross your path and you decide if that's what you want to select off the menu. And that's sort of how I live my life. I mean, it, it's a little weird, but that's how I have always been. Like, I've never had a true career path, which, which you know, speaks to my daughter wanting to be a lawyer because she was like my mom. She's all over the board. I just want a profession like my dad has, just a profession. But um, so anyway, I've always wanted to write and I always worked in cookbooks. So I did a lot of styling for cookbooks. And then, 
you know, that kind of morphed into be, me becoming an editor at Atlanta Magazine. And so I had to write recipes. I also helped write and test recipes. And it sort of like turned into me testing recipes, and writing recipes. And so when I had my own idea for my cookbook, I'd been working with my agent or the agent, you know, that that hired me for these different cookbooks forever. And I, you know, very timidly said, you know, I sort of have an idea for a cookbook. And that was Picture Perfect Parties. And she loved the idea and we, she sort of helped me a lot. Janice has helped me a ton of how to put together, um, you know, presentation for a book. And we did that and Rizzoli loved the idea and we shot with Rizzoli uh, in the United States. And then um, from that, I sort of, you know, I lived on the Riviera when I was living. I loved the aperitivo life. So it's sort of my fond farewell to living on the Riviera. And so I wrote Cocktail Italiano, which is sort of a travel log slash cocktail book. And it introduces people to aperitivo and what it is. Um, we do that every night for our guests here as we do aperitivo so that they understand, you know, we have snacks and we have drinks and, you know, Italians drink very differently than Americans drink. And so, yeah, so it's a very, it's an educational moment here. But uh, yeah, and then um, when I went through this journey of looking for my house, I thought, oh, I should write a book about this. And that was where Italy is my boyfriend came from. Um, and then, you know, when I was doing the retreats, full disclosure, my, one of my really good girlfriends is a very major director. And she said, you know, I'd love to do a movie, but I, I you know, at least my boyfriend's not really it for me. If you write about the retreats, maybe we can do something with that. So she was really the impetus. She was here and she said, you need to write this book. So I wrote the book and it has been converted into a screenplay. And now we wait because there's a writer's strike. So I will keep you posted on what happens with that. Um, but we're sort of, you know, we can't really move in any direction at this point. So we're sort of like in a holding pattern. And then, um, and then the late, and then I, of course I wrote my ode to the, La Portes and the food here because, you know, it's weird food and people, you know, we love introducing people to the weird food here and which is delicious, but different for sure. Yeah. And uh, so that was um, at the table of La Portessa. And I shot that with a very famous photographer, Jamie Oliver's photographer, David Loftus, who is a dream boat. Um, you know, he's just so creative. And it was just, we had met many years ago through another friend and I'd always wanted to work with him. And so when this book came up, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to work with him on this. And he was gracious enough to accept and want to work with me. And we had a blast. And he's a very sweet guy and very talented. And then, um, so the killer menu, which is coming out in two weeks, less than two weeks, I'm really excited, um, is a book that I thought about for a long time because I had met a chef who had a, like a real specific picadillo. And so I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I ran it by my friend, who's the editor at um, Better Homes and Gardens, the executive editor. And she was like, oh, that sounds like a, that sounds like a really good book. And then so once I felt confident, I talked to my agent and I gave her the rundown on the entire book because it was all in my head. And she was like, oh my God, yeah, write that down. So uh, so I did. And so, so I've been working on that book for like three years. And it's based on a lot of chefs I work with. So in other words, 
this one chef sort of started it for me, but it's based on a lot of chefs that I work with that have been very interesting characters. So there's lots of different mannerisms from different people that I work with over the years. Because you work with a lot of chefs when you do cookbooks. Uh, yeah, like you, like I'm doing a cookbook with a chef when I get back to Atlanta, I'm styling a cookbook for him. So you're still doing this. You're still doing the well, styling. Yeah, I always say, yeah, I always say it's like the Godfather. You know, you try to get out, but they drag you back in. And so I only pick projects that I really have fun with. So I don't like, you know, we used to have very hard shoots. I don't have hard shoots, but it's with people I love. So the main person we shoot here on location with is a company, a ceramics company called Beatry. And they're really wonderful to work with. Like they're my dream because I love the product so much and it so fits with the aesthetic here at La Cortessa. So we have a really good time. And they're really, the, the their people are amazing to work with. They're very creative and we all kind of gel. And this time, we shot in August at the beach, so we suffered together as well. Oh, it was oh hilarious. We were like, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to go to the beach with these ceramics. We don't, no, not in August. No, very bad. And it was as hilarious as I thought it would be. Like people claiming their steak like at 8.30, 8 o'clock in the morning on the beach. So, and they wouldn't move. So they were in the photo. I mean, just so funny. It was hilarious. It was great. <laughs> It was awesome. It's like my life, you know, just pretty standard. Yeah. But of course, everybody just thinks it's glamorous, Annette. Everybody just thinks that you're going through your life. You know, everything comes easy. You don't have to, you don't have to work hard, but you're a hard worker. I am a hard worker, but I will say it's pretty fun. You know, I mean, you, you can't do this and not enjoy the crazy, you know, it's like, you have to enjoy all the craziness that comes with it, you know, yeah. otherwise you you shouldn't do it, you know? Okay. So speaking of styling and all these different shoots and all this stuff, we haven't even gotten into what La Portessa really is. We'll get into that in a minute, but this fortress that you've renovated and turned to this fabulous retreat. And so you have people that rent it out and you basically provide the wine and the food and the space for them to just have their fabulous retreat. But then don't you also teach workshops on to, to wannabe or future or aspiring stylists? So here's what we do. So we have a space. We have, um, we can sleep, uh, our sweet spot is six, but we can sleep up to 12 people here um, with some shared rooms. Um, but like I said, six to eight people, is, that's our norm. Um, we started out by doing strictly photography and styling retreats. That's how this whole thing started. My friend from Seattle said, Annette, will you come teach a styling retreat and can you find a photographer? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, my best friend's a photographer in Atlanta. I love her. She shot my first and second cookbook. Yeah, I can bring Deborah. will come. And that's how this all started. Then I started doing them in Alasio where I lived on the Riviera. And we used uh, my friend's B&B. He's a chef and she's an ex like a fashion person. So they had a great B&B and we had a lot of fun. And then I thought, oh, I need to buy a big space. So that's when I bought La Portessa, which was a rubble of a 12th century fortress with all sorts of weird rooms added onto. It was very hard for me to wrap my brain around, but we bought it. 
after looking at it for two years. And I mean, this is where Frank is so brilliant. You know, I've looked at so many properties and one night we're like, you know, in the hot tub in Atlanta with the glass of wine. And I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, just buy the big house. I was like, okay. And then that was it. So we bought this house. Um, Cause he was just sick of listening to me. And also it's very hard to add on here. So uh, doing a renovation where you're adding on, it's not really an option because it's only like 30%. And if you have some other outbuildings, you can kind of grandfather that, you know, it's like very complicated. So uh, so then we started doing retreats here at La Fortessa. I brought all my photographer friends. We did lots of styling. And then it kind of morphed because what happened was, is there are a million photography, painting, styling retreats and they sort of like came in and went out of fashion so we tried some other things like food forward um since i had written my cookbook and i was very connected to slow food here by the time you know they kind of fashioned out uh as it were uh i was really into food and so we tried those and it was great and we went to visit all these purveyors and we cooked in the kitchen and we did a little bit of styling, a little bit of like iPhone styling, things like that. So um, that sort of became the thing. So we started doing food and then I had a friend of mine come and she shops in Europe all the time. She is a, a antiques dealer. She's fantastic. She brought a group. I took them to all my favorite haunts because, you know, doing this house, I got a lot of really cool resources and we just had so much fun. And it sold out in three minutes. And so we were like, oh, well, so maybe we're on to something. So we started doing these collected groups. And by collected, I mean individuals sign up. They come, they don't know other people. And, you know, they go on all these excursions and we curate everything from them, breakfast, lunch, dinner, outings, everything, downtime, walking to the vineyard, all the things. And those are really successful the last like four years because we did the other ones for the first three years and then we we started thinking maybe we should just do curation for groups for specific friends that all know each other because the reality of bringing a bunch of strangers together is that there's going to be one person that kind of ruins it for everybody and you start like as people are arriving like i'm being really full disclosure here as people are arriving you're trying to figure out who is the person that's going to ruin everybody else's vacation because they're in a bad mood? And so we started trying having people come as a group. And it works super well. Because if there's a problem, you know, I'm not the go-to person for that. You know, I'm not the person that they're looking at to solve whatever's going on with that person. So it works out really well. And uh, so that's sort of where he we're headed next year is we're just curating and doing corporate retreats where we're facilitating if they need like a, you know, to do a PowerPoint presentation or they are doing team building or whatever. We can find all those things for them, whether it's painting or cooking together. We always do cooking. Um, I mean, no one likes doing cooking lessons more than me. I adore it. And uh, yeah, so it's so it's worked out really, really well. And um, you know, we tell people that you can bring you know as as few as four people here, um, and then we curate the entire experience. We send a menu of everything. In fact, today I just had this really weird Japanese facial because I 
unfortunately, I have to try these things out, you know, the massages and all. You know, somebody's <laughs> got to do it. So I did this Japanese facial today. It was great. And so she's coming back next week to do shiatsu because I have to try that out and see if that's okay for our guests as well. And then she also does reflexology, which will be the week after. But so yeah, it does. It doesn't stink, you know, trying all this stuff out. Right. But yeah. So we put all these things on our menu. I mean, you can rent a boat. It's like farm to table. You just make sure you're seeing all the cool things around here and really getting a very insider's look at Italy in a very unique region that is very unknown to Americans. And most of our people are Americans. Most of our guests are Americans. I mean, for me, the big learning curve was, so my fantasy of these retreats is very different than what the reality is right this second. And, and my husband and I have been talking about this a lot because it has really, you know, it's like my business has morphed a lot. I mean, I was a stylist. I was on set. I was producing photo shoots. I was wrangling people, skidding props. I was making sure everything on set was copacetic. The photographer was happy. And we got beautiful images for our magazine that hired us. And, you know, that's what I was doing. So I had this idea, it was like a movie, which I always think I'm living in a movie, so it was like a movie because I'm very cinematic. I thought that I was going to have all these sort of very artistic salons, you know, where you'd sit at the table, you'd talk about art in the Italian countryside with the candles burning and the sun going down. And all these people would come that, you know, were creatives and we would talk about, you know, shows and we would talk about artists and we would talk about inspiration. And so, the reality check for me was when someone came out and said their air conditioning wasn't working and could I get it fixed immediately? And then also like, you know, we don't have enough towels. Where can we get more towels? And then I went, oh, I'm in the hospitality business. So, and I had never been in the hospitality. I mean, I'm a good hostess at a dinner party, but I mean, I've never ever worked at a hotel and I've never ever worked at a restaurant before. So this was a, a real steep learning curve for me. And I'm still learning and I'm still making mistakes and I'm owning all of them. But uh, wow, because this is not what I imagined. I thought it was going to be like, you know, stealing beauty. You know, like the movie Stealing Beauty. I thought it was going to be like that when they're all sitting around and joking around. And now. So it was much more about like the air conditioning not working and people wanting all their money back because their air conditioning didn't work for two days. And yeah, so it was, I mean, I'm being really real. It was a real, like a jolt to me because when I would go to dinner here, like I have friends who are sculptors and, you know, we go to parties at their houses and, you know, everybody's dancing and having a great time. And it is like a movie. But yeah, that is not happening here. People are on their vacation and you are on their vacation with them. Hmm. So once I had that paradigm shift, then it was easier to figure out that, oh, well, let's just give them the vacation. Let's just, let's just curate an experience for everybody. Let's make sure they're having as much fun as they possibly can. That's our job. So once I had that paradigm shift, it was, it was great. Okay. So you're trying, you, you mentioned that you're not really the host, but you're like, now you've just been coped by becoming a super host. 
Well, I mean, they're coming to an area that that is very hard to get around. It's, you know, if they're coming for something food, like we had this woman, the woman that arranged her 50th, her parents' 50th, she was fabulous. I mean, she's like a baker from like, you know, California. She's super cool lady. Like I love talking there about food. She was super jazzed about going to the flour mill. You know, I mean, we talk, I can talk about flour for hours. So it was, it was a blast, you know? So yeah, so curating is fun for me. I like, it's like producing a photo shoot. You're in Northern Tuscany. You're not in the you're not in the Luca Siena part of Tuscany that everybody goes to. You're in like less touristy, which of course I love. You're in sort of off the beaten path part of and and yet to be discovered part of Tuscany. Can you talk about where you are and talk about like how you found that area? Yeah, it's my favorite thing to talk about. So, um so we are in a region called Lunigiana, and the people that live here are, it's sort of like if you can picture like Colorado. So when you think of Tuscany, you think of rolling hills, and you think of cypress trees and lots of green. And we have lots of green here, but it's much more like Colorado. So our view is of a mountain. It's much more rugged, rough, a uh, lot of mountain climbing, a lot of uh, cyclists train here, uh, lots and lots of hiking. It's been a mecca for like people, for Dutch people, German people, because um, they, you know, they're outdoorsy, not to, you know, say everybody in Germany is outdoorsy, but the people that are super outdoorsy love it here. So like the people that love to live in Colorado, those are the kinds of people that live here. It's also rich in farming, it's rich in history. So we are what I like to say at the most sort of Northwest triangle of Tuscany. So we're like, picture us being an hour and uh, 50 minutes south of Genova, but we're very near the seaside. La Spezia is like 40 minutes away and that's a big port town in Liguria. We literally, like I always say, we kind of ski across Liguria. So when we're you know, like you can be in Liguria in, you know, 30 minutes and then back in Tuscany again, then back in Liguria. So the easiest way to know where we are is we're near the Carrara Mountains. And the mountain range that we look upon are um, a mountain range that runs north and south. So it's very unusual down the spine of Italy. Um, it's the Apuine Mountains, the Apuine Alps. And you can look it up. And it's so funny because when I ask people, like, do you know where you are? You know, raise your hand. Like, I'm kind of a bitch that way because I'm obsessed with maps. So um, everybody, no one knows where they are. It's just so funny. So, like, I become that school teacher that's really annoying. And I'm like, get out your phones. Go to Google Maps. See where we are. But I really, um, I'm a map, I'm like a freak out map. So we're we're in this very sweet spot in Tuscany because Emilia Romagna is over the mountains on the other side of the mountains of where I live. And Liguria is very close by. It's like, you know, one exit on the highway from us going west towards the seaside. So we can we can literally go skiing into the sea on the same day because our ski resort is 40 minutes away and the seaside is 40 minutes away. We're about an hour west of Parma. So, and we're about an hour and 15 minutes from Luca. 
And uh, we're about an hour, 15 minutes from Pisa. So we're in this very interesting little area that we can get to lots of things quickly and always amazes people when I'm like, why don't you go to Parma for the day? Do you want to do that? And they're like, what? And I'm like, it's like an hour away. We can be, you know, eating Parmigiano cheese like in no time. Um, so, yeah, so we're in this very cool part. Now, the way that I discovered this is in my book, uh, there's this guy named Rupert and he and his boyfriend live in Genova and they, um, his boyfriend, the prince, and they have a place here and we used to come all the time for weekends and we would have so much fun. And they, they were really, they're really fun and they know the area really well. So, I mean, I really know this area because of them. And that was like 15 years ago that I started coming here. So when we started looking for a bigger space to conduct these retreats, this was the first place I thought to come because A, it's beautiful, it appeals to me visually, and B, there was a lot of affordable housing here that was, you know, we could renovate if you have an imagination, which that I have. <laughs> the Looney Jana, Looney, like the moon, is sort of, it's not the technically the, because we're in Masa Carrara, so that's technically where we are. But it's the, the name of this section. There's like probably eight towns around that are part of this. So it's not as big as you would think, like Pont Remley, you know, Villafranc, um, Bagnone. There's like these little, little beautiful little towns or villages that are part of this. And it used to be a region that was very wealthy, of course, because there was a port here called Luni, which was part of the seven ports of Rome, the Roman ports. But over the years, it kind of became swampland and then became land. So there's no longer a port there, which is so interesting to me. I mean, there's so many things I could tell you about this region. I'm so boring when it comes to stuff because I really am excited about it. And everybody else is like snore, snore. But so people used to come over the mountains and there were tolls in these borgos, in these villages, which they call borgos. And so people would have to pay money to go to the sea. And so there was tons and tons of money coming in from Emilia Romagna, where they were bringing all of their wares and things and, you know, to take to the sea. And so it was a very wealthy region. I mean, this is such an interesting region because like Carrara marble, for example, the oldest profession in the world, right? The mountain's still there. It's it's chipped away, but barely. Like it's amazing how immense this mountain is or these mountains are. And to imagine that they would bring these slabs of marble down the hillside to the port because Carrara has a port, which you don't think about, but it has to, because how would they get this marble out, right? And then they would take this marble and they would on a ship, on like oldie timey ships, and then take it on the river to Rome to build these amazing buildings and sculptures. I mean, it's just really mind boggling. So when you're here, you're really living that history you know, I mean, yeah, it's great for countertops and bathrooms and stuff. But, you know, when you when you go, it's just to me, it's just dauntingly amazing. I mean, The Agony and the Ecstasy is my favorite book of all time anyway. So when I got to live near Carrara, I was so excited. And then, of course, all the other cities, Massa, 
you know, um, Forza de Marmi, uh, Pietra Santa, and, you know, we take people into sculpting studios to see people working with the marble. It's really fun, really, really cool. So yeah, I mean, obviously I'm passionate about this region because there's so much cool stuff here and everybody always goes to the basics. Like, I mean, I love Rome, don't get me wrong, it's great. Um, but, you know, there's so many other things to see. I mean, where you live, it's just so, it's not where people go. It's so interesting and so Italian. It's so authentic. So it's very authentic here. So that's what we're trying to do with our retreats is give people like a real, real authentic um, experience in Italy. Okay, I love that. You're giving people a real, real Italy, but you're also within just an easy day trip to all these other fabulous, very well-known locations. Well, and also like, so... I think that Genoa is a very underrated city as far as American tourists go. To me, it's like one of the best cities in Italy. It's so interesting because it's got so much culture, so much history. It's a port city. Um, it's got so much beautiful architectural, beautiful gardens. It's like a very cool place. And I that used to be my go-to place because I lived on the Riviera. So if I, you know, my friends live there. And so I got a real intimate view of it and the Storico, you know, the, the Centro is gorgeous and it's just very beautiful. And then they have these little porticellos, these little ports where you can go have aperitivo and it's so charming and you have like, it's just all Italians after work. And it's just like, you feel it's very real and there aren't a lot of tourists there. And I'm like, go to Genova. I want to go to Cinque Terre. Don't go to Cinque Terre. Go to Lerici. Go to, to Levanto. Go to these other towns that are look very similar, really, but they're not full of tourists like tromping through, you know, all right. But it's very hard. So we like take people to Parma or we take people to Modena. Like Modena is like one of my favorite, favorite cities. In fact, if I ever get rid of this place, I'm moving there. I'm going to be an old lady there walking around in very chic, weird, arty clothes. But I just love it there. And Bologna, of course. And it's like, go that way. You know, don't always go for the expected, you know, um, go outside your kind, like outside of Venice, go outside of Venice. It's so, so cool. Like, um, there's so many great little towns that are so beautiful and, and no one goes to them because they just go to the basics. It's all about marketing. You know, you are preaching my sermon right now. I'm telling you, but in I knew instance, we would get along just from listening to you. I was like, this oh. this guy and I like agree on stuff. Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, 100%. 100%. I think we see the world very similarly. We see people in the world very similarly, or we want, to, we choose to see it a certain way, and we sort of morph it to the way we see it. Yeah, because you're creative too. I mean, you know, oh. your, your job is very creative as well. So, you know, we, we just look at things stilted a little bit. What I try to do with people is if yeah. they want to go to Rome, here's what I tell them. I'm like, go to Rome, but go to Rome for 10 days. Don't run all over the country. Stay in Rome, go to the same coffee shop every single day. By the end of 10 days, you won't even have to order anymore. They're just going to put your macchiato right out on the bar. They're going to say hello to you. They're going to ask you how your morning is going or what's what's new. or And that's how Italians live. I mean, I walk into my little bar here in Vivizzano and I mean, I don't have to say anything. They're just, you know, we're chatting about like how the summer's been or, you know, it's just, 
it's but that's a real Italian experience, you know. So yeah, go to Rome, but you know, live in the hood. It's like, you know, it's it's that's what Italy is about: people, people talking to each other, relating. Um, it's a it's a very personal thing. Um, I mean, not to get off topic, but you know, I grew up in Hungary. And so my grandmother and I used to go, I'd go there from May to August, like the whole summer. And I speak Hungarian and my aunt and uncle was there, my cousin and, you know, and, and we used to, we lived in the middle of town, in the middle of Budapest, we lived in Pest. And I used to go every morning with my grandmother grocery shopping because there was no supermarket, right? Cause I'm that old. And so we would just go from place to place and the butcher would slice off a little salami and give it to my sister and I. And, then we would go to, you know, they'd give you an apple at the, you know, the the fruit vendor. And, you know, it's just like, it, you know, the pastoria, they would know us, they would give us a cookie. And my grandmother knew all these people and they would, everything would take longer because it was like, she, you know, they would gossip about somebody or they would tell a story about going to the doctor or, or you know, somebody's ill and, you know, it's like check in on them, you know. And so I grew up that way. I grew up with that slow conversation, not the quick, 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 you know, got to get, got to go, got to go, got to go. And so when I moved here, I understood it. And I understood the relationships that were super important. And I think that one of the things about living in Italy is that you have to slow your role. You know, you cannot build 10,000 square feet of a fortress with a full-on garden without your gardener and you being like BFFs and your, you know, contractor being your guy, you know, like I can, I literally texted him. We have boars in the backyard. I won't go into why we have all these boars right now. We have a lot of boars in the backyard and I just texted him a video. He's a hunter. So what do I have in my freezer downstairs? Boar. So, Right. But I mean, he's my contractor, but we're buddies, you know, I mean, it's, you have to have these relationships and it takes a long time and everything is slower. And it's very hard, I think, for Americans when they come on vacation to do that shift. I mean, it's not their fault. It's not our fault as Americans. I mean, I'm an American as well, but it's just, it takes a while to get into the groove here, I think. Oh, yes, indeed. And Speaking of that, and speaking of, I just love, I hope you write a book someday about those those early years in Hungary that you spent with your grandmother. What a <laughs> gift, what a life, what a rich life. Oh, do you still speak Hungarian or would you, yes, you say? Yeah, I do actually, yeah, I do. So you speak Hungarian and English and Italian. Now you've been, Italy has been in your life like for the past 20 years, but you came, even before you went to college, you came. That's when you spent oh, time yeah. in Rome. I mean, so you, Italy has been on your radar for most of your life, the majority yeah. of your life. Now, how long realistically, you're more of an international per person by nature, so it probably came a little easier for you, but how long did it really take you, Annette, before you really felt comfortable with Italian speaking it? Speaking Italian, well, here's the here's the rub. So I lived in Alasio for 12 years. And the issue with living in Alasio is that everybody speaks English. So as soon as they pick up that you're saying buongiorno, they know you're American. They they 
Like you can never sound like an Italian unless you're like some sort of savant. So same with Hungarian. I have a very strong American accent in Hungarian. So when I really learned Italian, I knew Italian, I'd taken lessons, you know, I'd lived in Italy, but when I really started learning Italian was when I was building this house because no one spoke English. And so it sort of forced my hand. I knew the words and it just sort of forced my hand into just speaking. And when I tell people is just sound crazy when you're speaking, like Frank is trying to learn Italian right now. He speaks Spanish very well because he did in this practice, but I'm like, dude, just say crazy crap. You know I mean? Just sound nutty, you know, just say whatever comes to mind because you're never going to learn Italian unless you speak it. And you'll first start understanding what people are saying to you, which is awesome. When you start understanding, it's so nice. You know, like today, it was really funny because when I went to get this fabulous Japanese facial thing, she spoke to me in English and very bad English. And I said to her, you know, in Italian, I said, I speak Italian. I can understand you. It's fine. And she continued to try to speak in English to me, which I thought was great because she was trying to, you know, practice her English, which is great. So I said, listen, I'll practice my Italian. You practice your English and we're going to get this done. And so I just think that it's very hard even for Italians to speak English, but you just have to sound cuckoo. And you know what? Everybody corrects me in the nicest way. Like everybody that works for me speaks Italian. And so they'll correct me or sometimes they won't because they think it's cute. And I can tell that they think it's cute because I know them really well now. Like my chef will just kind of, you've seen Leo and he'll just kind of like, and I'm like, I said something really weird, didn't I? You said maybe. <laughs> you know, I'll say something off color and not realize that I'm saying something bad, you know, but, um, but you just have to speak. So I think when I, when this house, when we started doing this house, that's when I had to learn. So I speak very, very good house Italian. I know what all the things are. Okay. I got, I got it. So you, you really, you kind of were surrounded by people who, which people do the same thing to me here. And I don't live in a touristy area at all. Right. People get the, even the slightest hint that they could use the, their, whatever English they've got, they'll use it, pull it right out and, fearlessly start trying to speak English to you, which is such a lovely thing. But, um, okay, so the, the process, uh, the last, I mean, how many years did it take you from start to finish to really do that house? Because that's not that's not what most people are going to move to Italy and do. Most people are going to either move here and buy ready to live, which, by the way, right. I love your videos, searching for property. Anybody, by the way, that is on YouTube or not even on YouTube, go find all about Annette. Is it all about Annette? That's correct. Yeah. Go find, go to the channel all about Annette on YouTube. Subscribe and start watching and liking her videos because she's got this fabulous YouTube channel. And you just, I just watched one recently about you going to this house that was already living. But anyway, I'm off track. The point is, you moved here and did what most people aren't going to do. You bought a huge piece of property that has a vineyard. You have your own wine and you've got multiple buildings. And I mean, you've got tens of thousands of square feet that you renovated. How long did that take you? Well, it took it. Well, we did it in phases. So it took about three years. So the first year we did the main house, which is where my husband and I, and you know, and Levi lives because Levi has a room here. 
And Frank doesn't call the guest room, he calls it Levi's room, which I think is very cute, our son's room. And um, then after that, we did the, the studio and the guest quarters, which is on the main level. So we live in a tower, right? So we have like four levels from the ground up. So, and it was a defensive tower um, from the middle ages and um, from medieval times. And it is very, has very thick ones. And uh, so we then did the guest quarters so that we can conduct retreats and we would cook out of the kitchen here in the main house, which is, it was pretty daunting. And then, but funny, made for funny stories, like the messy chef and stuff. In fact, Christina, my housekeeper, has been here since the beginning. We were doing a pizza party and she's looked at me and we started, I don't know how we started talking about this, but the messy chef, we started talking about it. We were laughing and she's actually taught me Italian, Christina. I mean, full disclosure. So we're, because we gossip in Italian. So, you know, that'll teach you Italian. And then we did the, um, the lower, the lower level, which has the guest um, lounge and then the commercial kitchen, which is where we do all the cooking lessons. And then my videos are shot there as well. So you can see it um, on YouTube. And then our lit, so that took about three years. And then I took a break. And then we just recently finished the last room, which was the cantina. And we did a lot of outdoor. We did a lot of um, landscaping, which is where I need you. And uh, you have to come down here. And then, um, yeah, so, and then we did the pool, which honestly, the pool was harder than doing the house. That took about a year. It was also during COVID. And it was just really hard. I don't know why it was hard, but it was a really hard project. But it's really nice. Our pool is really pretty, and it the view is ridiculous. I mean, it's insane. Like even I think the view is ridiculous. Like even I go, wow, this is ridiculous. It's insane. Looks like a backdrop. You know, it looks like a movie backdrop. It doesn't look real. And we've had a lot of uh, fun times at the pool, especially this year. We had um, we started something new this week. This year we do Rainbow Week, so all the gays come, and. It's quite fun. <laughs> I will say there, there's lots of cocktail lessons, which they're conducting, not me. <laughs> and uh, we got uh, one of those hand carts to take the trash to the um, to the curb now because the trash is full of bottles and we can't lift it together. <laughs> so I was like, we need a hand cart because these gays they drink a lot of alcohol. But it's very fun. We had so much fun. And we had and we bring people together that don't know each other. So oh my God, it was just, it was a blast. It was insane. Super fun. Lots of staying up very late and talking. It was fun. That's the best. That's the best. Those late nights. And by the way, this swimming pool that you're talking about, it's like a lake. It's like a lake <laughs> with, a view, with a view and an infinity. And like it is the most gorgeous. Like view out. I've seen I've seen these videos of your pool. I can see why it was so hard to build because everything here is hard to do. But a pool that's of that size, it's well, like that's it's what's so funny. Well, no, but Frank is a swimmer, so he swims in it every day. He swims laps. He is a swimmer, and that is right. his pool. And you're. It's funny that you said that because the geometer goes, man, that's a big piece. <laughs> the geometer. <laughs> 
Like that's that's not it's not just an olympic size pool it's like four olympic size pools all smushed together i mean no it's not that big, but it is a big pool for italy and and my geometry was hilarious i mean it was it was so funny it was like so, wow so i'm i'm looking forward to two things annette i'm looking forward to coming and hanging out with you sometime when so. you've got nobody around and you're just like downtime and you just want to like I don't know, hang out and do something creative. I'll bring you a, a crate of Prosecco here from the Prosecco region. And we'll oh, just yeah. Work, that sounds we'll good to me. That is some good Prosecco. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes. But I'm also really looking forward to getting a group together and coming and doing one of your small groups because I think small groups anywhere, but especially in Italy, that's the way to do it. So I'm going to put together a group probably of either maybe a mix of podcast listeners that really want to come. And also maybe we'll do a couple different groups, but also some friends because I've got some great friends that love Italy and they're always looking for an excuse. So I think we'll, we'll do some of those. I want to, I want to experience coming there and, and having a group of friends and use that as an excuse to hang out because I know we're just going to have a blast when we get together. Oh, for sure. We're friends forever. I mean, I knew it when I listened to your, I listened to your podcast the first time. I think I was picking somebody up from the airport or something and I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, this guy is. And then of course, you know, now like when I walk or, you know, or I'm, you know, here it takes a while to get places so I can listen to your podcast. But I was like, oh, this guy is like, this guy's my guy. I mean, <laughs> I love your podcast. It's so good. It really is. And you're the people that you bring on are great. I mean, I'm interested in everything. Um, yeah. So I would love if you would come here. I told you, I wrote you and I said, you have to come. You, you did. In all fairness, you have been inviting me for the last few months and I've been, life has been crazy and busy and it's going to happen though. Annette, listen, you and I could talk forever. I, I feel like we've got a lot ahead of us. Uh, a lot of really, really wonderful, fun times together. I'm looking forward to it. For those of you who are listening to this and you're like, I've been looking for that place to either buy property or that place to take my girlfriends or that place to take, you know, a group of three or four couples. And we want to just like, you've got to go to La Fortezza, which is the place, which is the place that Annette offers these fabulous retreats. Now, which months of the year, Annette, do you offer these retreats? So we usually, we usually like June and September, a little bit into October. We have one more group coming the beginning of October, but um, that's sort of it as far as, for me, the best weather and also not as crowded. So August here is bananas and July is, you know, if there's a group that wants to come in July, you know, depending, we can work that in, not a problem, but June and September are the main months, definitely. Okay. And we're already booked for next June, so don't, yeah. So we're, that, those those are booked. So if you want to get away from all of the insanity that's no doubt going to be happening leading up to the election of 2024, and you need oh, to God. just escape the insanity, then Book for the fall, September into October, which I think are the two best months to be in Italy, by the way. I Hands agree. down. I, agree. I mean, yeah. the fall here is is just the best. You need to be following Annette Joseph on Instagram. You need to be 
subscribed and watching her videos that come out every Thursday on YouTube, all about Annette. You're hired, you I'll tell you. <laughs> you need to buy my Italian guest book, which has stories of some of the craziest guests you can imagine that Annette has hosted. You need to be- There's some love to stories too now. There's love stories in there too. Yes, yes, there's love stories, but who's got time for those? I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're wonderful. I just like the drama stories personally. And then also Italy is my boyfriend. By the way, I have to just read this to you. The dedication of Italy is my boyfriend goes like this. To my husband, Frank, and to my boyfriend, Italy. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So you need to you need to buy Annette's, these books. You need to pre-order her book, The Killer Menu. You need The Table at La Fortezza. What are your other cookbooks? List them off. Uh, Cocktail Italiano. My first cookbook was Picture Perfect Parties, which honestly is a classic and has great recipes. Uh, Cocktail Italiano. And at the table of La Fortessa, which is about La Fortessa, how we eat here. Um, those tattooed arms are our chef Leos, who's on my all my YouTube videos. Yeah, he's like a family member in the good way and the bad way. So, <laughs> yeah, those are my cooks. Yeah. Well, Annette, I like I said, I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. I hope you come back, and I'm looking forward to visiting you at your fabulous place in Northern Tuscany. And just thank you so much for your time, your openness. This has just been such a delight. Thank you, Nathan. I mean, you're like, it's a dream come true to be on your <laughs> podcast because I listen to it all the time. Very excited about this. And, you know, I don't get that excited. So I was really excited. I was, it, I'm so excited to meet you because I feel like you're a friend. So thank you. Oh, yeah. You. That doesn't always happen. That's not always, you know, you 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 talk to someone, you meet them, you have an interview with them or whatever, virtually. And then you're like, oh yeah, that was a lovely person. Um, that was a nice experience. And then you have the the people that you're just like, even before you meet in person, you're just like, oh yeah, besties, besties for yeah. life. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I knew it when I heard your voice. I was like, yep, this is my guy. Uh, and you're so well, handsome and cute and have the best head of hair. Jeez the weeds. This hair is out of control, Annette. This it's, hair is out of control, but thank you. And by the way, most men would kill for that hair. Come on. Thank you. You've got some great hair too. And I love that you've allowed it to just go all natural. But I do like this hair. I do. I got stopped by the finance police today. And it was so awesome that I had this hair because, you know, he asked me what my work is. And I said, look at me. I'm an old lady. I retired and he he was very cute. He looked at me and goes, you're not old. It was very cute. I was like really caught him off guard. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting that you're using. I've never heard anybody say that they use their gray hair to ward off the police. Well, it's the finance police. How weird is that? That's a whole other, that's a other podcast, the finance oh. police. A hundred percent. Well, please come back. Thank I just want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been such, such fun. Super fun. <laughs> oh my goodness. I could have talked to Annette for hours. Wasn't that an interesting conversation? It was. And you know what? I have an idea. 
why don't we go there to her La Fortezza farm when we start zigzagging through Italy and we can taste their wines and you can ask her all the questions you couldn't ask her today. Buona idea. Buona idea. Ah, fatto. Si parte. Andiamo. <laughs> Now, for me, it's just a couple of hours driving, so I'm there already. Make sure that you check out Annette's Instagram website, her YouTube. I mean, she's prolific online. So you're going to want to be following her and you're going to want to read those books because I'm telling you, she's not only a fabulous designer, she's also an incredible author. So check all of that out. There's going to be links on my website and in the notes of the podcast. So check those out. Okay, Veda, you're going to share with us some interesting topics today about the region of Tuscany. For someone who's been living in Tuscany for the last 15 years, I'm very interested in hearing what you have to say about your, basically your home region now. Mm -hmm. Well, of course. First of all, it's La Toscana. So Toscana is feminine. It's one of the feminine regions. It's the fifth biggest region in Italy. Uh, but with only, I mean, 3.6 million people living here. So it's the ninth, 10th most populated region. I mean, it's a nice balance. You have big cities and you have a lot of empty spaces with hills. Now, the province, so the provinces in Toscana are Firenze, so Florence, the capital of Tuscany. And then we have Pisa, Siena. Lucca, Arezzo, Grosseto, Livorno, Massa Carrara, Pistoia, and Prato. Ten provinces. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, so some of them are really famous. Well, I would say almost all of them are very famous because it's Tuscany, of course. Now, there are smaller towns that are also quite famous, <laughs> and you probably heard about them, like, I don't know, San Gimignano, Volte I, I, you heard San Gimignano before, I'm sure, but you just don't remember because it's so difficult to pronounce, right? But it's San Gimignano, Volterra, uh, Capalbio, Barga, Porto Ercole, and many more. But there's this thing about Tuscany, even Italians, okay? We don't say I'm going to a specific town. We just say I'm going to Tuscany because it's so iconic. It's the whole region, mm -hmm that is kind of famous. And the symbol, the symbol or the flag of the Tuscan region is um, silver pegasus, so like this horse. Um, and then the flag is white with some red bands. And the symbol derives from a coin from the 1500s. Now, as for geography, you probably know Tuscany is in central Italy and it borders with Liguria, of course, you talked about that with Annette. So Liguria, Emilia-Romagna, Le Marche, Umbria, and Lazio. So it borders with a lot of regions and Martirreno. So the coast, the sea, right? And it also has uh, many islands. The biggest one is Isola d'Elba, so the Elba Island. And can you believe it? It's the third biggest island in Italy after Sicily and Sardinia. So it's a pretty big island. Mm -hmm. It's not as big as 
Sicily and Sardinia, you have the big Sicily and Sardinia, and then you go to small, but still, it's the third biggest island in Italy. And then there's the Isola del Giglio, also very famous for, you know, summer holidays. And the famous, even if it's tiny, 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 Isola di Monte Cristo. Mm, certo. Uh -huh. So where the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas is set, and it's right here in Tuscany. Now, there's one main river in Tuscany, which is the Arno River, that runs and flows through Florence and Pisa, both. Uh, there are the Apennini, of course, a few high mountains, like the highest is around 2,000 meters, and that's uh, more than 6,000 feet, but still it's not famous for its mountains. Most of the territory is hills or mountains, and you know that, vineyards, olive groves, and sunflowers, and wheat fields, and it's the main crops grown here and are so iconic, right? The like the the, the the rolling hills of Tuscany, that's how we call them. But you probably haven't realized this. Tuscany also has more than 600 kilometers of coastline. A lot of nice places you can go and, you know, and swim and walk on the beach. And oftentimes these areas are protected, so are part of natural parks. And there's this one place where I always go, and it's Parco de Lucellina, uh, where you can go to the beach, have nice long walks, and meet foxes and wild boars and animals right there on the beach. It's amazing. And there are also huge forests here in Tuscany. It's not all vineyards and stuff with hidden churches or hidden castles and a lot of hiking trails. So have you ever been to Tuscany, Nathan? Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. And unfortunately, I didn't visit Tuscany while I knew you. Mm -hmm. But you're certainly going to be one of the main attractions when I do come back to Tuscany. <laughs> Okay, now let's talk a little bit about the history of Tuscany because unlike Sicily or other regions in Italy, in the north and in the south, with a lot of, you know, different invasions and a lot of, you know, it's kind of confusing people from all over, Tuscan history, it's kind of easy, but it's not. It's like the longest. Now, let, let me explain. So Tuscany was the homeland. That's where the Etruscans used to live. So this complex society uh, and civilization uh, and their early evidence dates back to um, the 10th century before Christ. So they've been here forever. Mm -hmm. Then in uh, 351 before Christ, still, uh, this area was annexed by Rome, let's say Rome took over. And then it was part of the Roman Empire. And after uh, the fall of the Roman Empire, Toscana, so that's how we started calling it, Toscana sort of um, became a political uh, unity, a political entity with its own rulers. Okay, So by the 1100s, I would say, the cities, the main cities in Tuscany started to gradually gain independence and became republics. So that's something kind of modern, right? 
And by the Middle Ages, the main cities, so we're talking about um, Pisa, Siena, Arezzo, Pistoia, and Florence became very wealthy because of the sea, you know, and the port, and there was a lot of uh, trade and banking down here, and of course, agriculture, obviously. And But there were many, 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 many wars among those cities, uh, especially Florence and Siena, but also Florence and Pisa and Pisa and Livorno. They fought for centuries. Nobody knows why. I mean, we do. We are Italians, but still. They were fighting all the time. And that's what makes Tuscany so beautiful. Every single village is actually on top of a hill with ramparts, with walls around it to protect it and towers to look out for enemies. They were all castles because they've been fighting for centuries. So that's why. But, you know, now we have beautiful towns and beautiful cities. Now, gradually, it was Florence uh, that conquered all of the other cities. And it became uh, the, the, the major city. Uh, and it was ruled by families, important families, like um, noble families, among which you all know the Medici family. It was also the TV series very recently, so we all know about the Medici now, but yeah, it's like one of the most important families in the world. They became uh, like dominant in the 15th centuries. And what happened back then is that art, and literature and architecture, they just flourished in, in, in Florence that became the heart, the, the, the main city of Il Rinascimento, Il Rinascimento, the Renaissance, right? Now, I don't know why in English you use the French term, why Rinascimento was all in Florence. So from now on, you should all say Rinascimento. Thank you. <laughs> So we had people, and it's like, if you really think about it and you buy like a history book, that is like crazy. You had people like Botticelli, Leonardo, Michelangelo. Uh, oh, sorry, Leonardo da Vinci, obviously. We just call him Leonardo because we all know what we're talking about. And all these people, they were working together and all oh, the things that happen in Florence are just crazy. Anyway, when Lorenzo de Medici died, and that was 1492, the power of the family started to sort of fall apart. Also because 1492, something else happened, quite important. Oh, yeah. So uh, all the trade that was done in the Mediterranean Sea sort of moved to America, to the new continent. So they kind of lost, yeah, the economy went into a, like a slow, but yeah, endless decline. So by the 1500s, uh, the Roman emperor that was Charles V, it was an Habsburg in, in origin, uh, conquered Florence and was able to have the Medici back again. So they had their ups and downs, right? And they were dukes of Florence for uh, another few decades. And then um, Cosimo de Medici was uh, nominated Grand Duke, so the Archduke, the Larciduca di Toscana of Tuscany. And that was an economic like revival, like ports were built, universities were founded, and the wealthy families sponsored once again art and science and everything for, you know, like advance 
For example, they sponsored Galileo Galilei or they sponsored Amerigo Vespucci. Mm -hmm. So all these people, all from Florence, can you believe it? Anyway, and then what happened that after the Medici, Tuscany was ruled uh, um, by the Austrian dukes, like the Asburg Lorena family, so the Lorraine, and the, the, the region economic power sort of faded and went down. And then with the um, forming reign of Italy, um, Tuscany got annexed to it thanks to a referendum. So people did not fight here, but voted to get annexed to the forming reign of Italy. And many don't know this, Florence was the capital city of Italy. The first capital city in 1861 was Turin in the north because Rome was still part of the Vatican state, the Pope. And to get closer to Rome, they decided to move the capital in um, 1865 to Florence. And it was the capital city of Italy until 1871 when they finally got to Rome. And now Tuscany is like a cultural and historical center. Tourists from all over the world come here every single year. So we have a lot of tourists because of this. Now, there are a few fun facts about Tuscany, not history alone. And we have the oldest bank in the world, Monte dei Paschi di Siena, that's the name of the bank, and it's in Siena, of course, was founded in 1472. Whoa. Yeah, still working today. I tried to open a bank account there, and I think their technology is kind of stuck in 1475. So then I changed. <laughs> no, I mean, they're a great bank, whatever. But uh, yeah, Monte dei Paschi di Siena is the oldest bank in the world, still functioning today, obviously. So, And the Gran Ducato di Toscana, so when Tuscany was one of the state and it was ruled by an archduke, uh, and that was exactly in 1786, it was the very first state where death penalty was abolished, first in the world. And, you know, we were talking about the Etruscans, and I said something, I guess, like, they've been living here forever, because it's like from the 900 before Christ. I mean it, they still live here today, they still exist. Now, they figure out that here in Tuscany, since there were no major invasions from, you know, the, the, the Arabs or the Greeks from the south or the Austrians or the French from the north, like it happened in different parts of Italy, the people here are still the same they were 4,000 years ago, whatever that is. And a study went especially to Murlo near Siena and Volterra. It's actually uh, Pisa. No, well, it's close to Siena, but it's Provincia di Pisa. And they took the DNA of the people living there to study modern Etruscan because it's still them. It's still the same DNA. They never moved, you know, because these tiny cities and they're all surrounded by the walls and they just, you know, stay here because Italians don't move that much. So it's still the Etruscan. And thanks to the fact that they're still here and much alive, um, scientists have figured out that the original Etruscans came from modern Turkey. Wow. And if you think about it, yeah, people in central Italy, uh, like they have 
kind of dark skin, but not too dark. Like in the South, it's kind of an olive. Kind of, that's how we call it, olivastro, kind of olive dark. And big, important noses, a little bit like the Middle East. And it's, yeah, they're Turkish. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so... If you've been to Tuscany, Nathan, have you tried any special wine here or food? Hmm. I definitely did, but I'm sure I was not as adventurous as I could have been. The wine is, of course, wonderful. I love Chianti. I love Montepulciano. And I also love the Vinsanto that you brought me, mm-hmm. which I still have. I'm saving it, drinking it very slowly. So, yes, share with us about some of the special food from your region, Vada. So we have some, you know, uh, IGP or DOP products like Zafferano di San Gimignano. That's saffron. And it's from there, from that area. And it's beautiful and so tasty and amazing. We have several chestnuts that are typical of different areas here in Tuscany. And they're all so good. Of course, olive oil, so many different areas for olive oil. And pecorino cheese, which remember, it's sheep milk cheese. And lardo di colonnata, so that is lard, basically. Yeah, like fat that you eat, but it's so good. And finocchiona, which is a sort of salami with fennel in it. And cinta senese, it's a kind of... Uh, pork we have here, like pig, like the animal, that is all white with a black stripe on the back. And it's very typical of this area. When we talk about wines, we have, of course, Brunello di Montalcino, Chianti, Chianti Classico and Chianti, Nobile di Montepulciano, Carmigliano, Morellino di Scansano, Vernaccia di San Gimignano. We have a lot of wines, okay? If you're hungry, come to Tuscany. But as for dishes, uh, you know what? I would say cinghiale in any form, like white boar, right? Cinghiale. It could be uh, a ragu for your pasta, for your pappardelle. It could be like the whole kind of stew. And you also have a cinghiale sausages or salami. So cinghiale, a lot of cinghiale. And then ribollita, which is a winter soup with big chunks of Uh, vegetables and old like stale bread and that's because Tuscany was a very poor region until after World War II okay that's when it its economy boomed again but before it was really poor so you see cinghiale is what you find here what you can hunt and ribolita is the vegetable you can grow in your garden with some stale bread because you don't want to just you know throw that away And when you go to the coast, you have cacciucco, which is written with a total of five C's. Cacciucco, that's really hard to pronounce. And it's a fish soup. And then the famous bistecca la fiorentina, which is our typical T-bone with a, from a special kind of cows. And as for dessert, cantucci, panforte, and obviously vinsanto. So this is pretty much it. Uh, those dishes, like our towns here in Tuscany, they are not world famous, like it would be cannoli for Sicily, because those are tiny, simple things. So people come to Tuscany and eat Tuscan food. 
So there's not something really specific, probably that's why you don't remember, but it's all very local and very, very good. If you really want to get into, you know, the language, the accent and the people here, I always suggest a song and a movie. Now, as for songs, we have here in Tuscany two famous, world-famous singers that are from here. The first one, maybe not world-famous, but Gianna Nannini. So Gianna is her name, Nannini is her last. And the other one is Andrea Bocelli. He's world-famous, Bocelli. And they sang a song together. So my suggestion for you is to listen to Ama, Credi e Vai. It's a song they did together. Ama, Credi e Vai. When we talk about movies, <laughs> it's really, really difficult to pick one. The first one is obviously Roberto Benigni. He won the Oscar. Mm -hmm. Sofia Loren said, and the Oscar goes to Roberto. I'm sure you've seen the scene. I walking on the chairs and climbing on top of people to go and get the Oscar. Now, Roberto Benigni is amazing. Okay, he's like the best actor, director, and he um, does all sorts of things. He's really amazing. And the film, the movie that won him the Oscar was La Vita è Bella. So that is one, if you haven't watched it, just do, but you don't see much of Tuscany there. He speaks in a very, you know, Tuscan accent, but still. If you really want some fun, you know, light-hearted movies, uh, my suggestion is to watch anything you like by Leonardo Pieraccioni. Pieraccioni. His a uh, Tuscan actor and director and uh, also playwright. Anyway, he's so Tuscan. He's from Florence and, you know, it's just light movies set in Tuscany, usually a love story or something, but you can see the real Tuscany and how people really speak, really talk. And that is so authentic and it's just for us so I don't think you'll find it uh, translated into any other language but probably subtitled and he became very famous uh, a few years ago with a movie called Il Ciclone Il Ciclone so it's like the hurricane but just Leonardo Pieraccioni any movie of his is amazing thank you Vera that was fantastic Every single time you share your information about these unique regions, I learn something. I learn a lot, and this week is no exception. Well, we're going to share a surrounding sound that comes from our special guest today, Annette Joseph. We're going to share uh, some sounds from one of her YouTube videos, actually. That's going to be really fun. Before we do that, let's quickly take a moment to thank our sponsors today. ExpressVPN is a product that many of our listeners use every day while either living here in Italy or traveling in Italy. And I have to say that no matter where you are on your journey of moving to Italy, I highly suggest getting ExpressVPN 
because you're going to need a VPN service while you live in Italy, especially if you are not from here. ExpressVPN is the best of them all, and it allows you to use your streaming services here. It allows you to use public Wi-Fi here without getting your data stolen by the hackers that are constantly hanging out in tourist locations where tourists use public Wi-Fi because that's when you're vulnerable to getting your information hacked. You can also use it to make phone calls and text messages as if you are still in your home country. There are a wide range of reasons why you need a VPN service and ExpressVPN is the best. You can get three months for free if you sign up for a one-year plan by going to imovingtoitaly.com and following the links on my website. Also, Babbel Language is a wonderful sponsor of our show and also one of the very best language learning apps you can possibly use. I've been using Babbel Language for the last year, and I can tell you that it has made a huge difference for my Italian. And the good news is, if you are wanting to get a language learning app that, in my opinion, is far superior to the others, including Rosetta Stone and Pemsler and Duolingo, Babbel Language is the best. You can go to imovingtoitaly.com, click on the links, and you can get more than 50% off of the lifetime or the yearly plan that they offer. They're beginning to slowly phase out the lifetime membership, so you might have to check that out on holiday weekend or during Christmas season or one of the big holidays. So visit imovingtoitaly.com and click on the links for Babbel Language. And of course, don't forget Vera, our in-house Tuscan resident and Italian language expert, founder of Kike Language, is my personal Italian language coach, and she's also the coach of many of our listeners. Vera still has some availability certain days of the week, so you can reach out to Vera and schedule a group session, or you can schedule a one-on-one -on -one coaching session. Very soon, I'm going to be joining a new group class, and there will be some room in that group class for a handful of listeners. So if you'd like to join a group class that I'm going to be a member of and watch me stumble around with my Italian and make a fool of myself in front of you, you'll feel much better about your Italian because I make mistakes constantly and I'm still learning. And it's But it's lots of fun and we love studying Italian with Vera. So you can visit kikkelanguage.com, that's C-H-I-C-C-H-E, language.com. Your Italian is great, you know that. You're improving so much because you're here and you're using your Italian every single day. Thank you, Vera, but really, it's huge thanks to you. So I appreciate you saying that because I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for your help. Also, if you'd like some help, moving to Italy. If you're stuck, you don't know what to do with taxes. Or I was just helping someone this past week who is a coaching client of mine, and he is trying to figure out how to get his house set up here in Italy. He doesn't know where to buy pillows. He doesn't know where to buy mattresses. He doesn't know where to go to get his residency stuff figured out. He doesn't really know a lot of things. And so he came to Italy and has realizing there's so many things he doesn't know. So I've been able to help him and a number of our listeners 
with problems that they need to solve, and I'm happy to do the same for you. So whether you're planning to move to Italy or you're already here, or if you're trying to set up a checklist of things that you want to make sure you get right when you move to Italy, feel free to visit imovingtoitaly.com and you can click on the links to my coaching, my one-on-one coaching, and I would be very happy to help you answer my very detailed questionnaire. We'll figure out where your starting point is and we'll get directly to work and get you settled here in Italy and solve whatever your individual problems are, whether they're related to taxes, healthcare, residency, citizenship, or something as simple as getting your phone set up here and furnishing your home in Italy. All right, that brings us to our surrounding sounds. And this week, like I shared, we have a clip from one of Annette's fantastic YouTube videos. Now, Annette is basically a celebrity, and like many celebrities, she has her own camera crew following her around in Italy, not only taking videos of her, but they edit them and upload them, and they do the most high-quality production and post videos every Thursday to her YouTube channel, which we talked about earlier, all about Annette. So... Here is a little clip from one of Annette's videos where she's going and looking at real estate here in Italy. And Annette is hilarious. I love the way she talks about real estate and shopping for real estate here. And it's always funny to watch the agents that are her friends and also take her to show these different properties. So fun to watch the expressions on their faces as Annette is walking through these properties. She's hilarious, and you really have to start watching her YouTube channel. So here's a little clip from one of those videos, and then Vera and I will be back afterwards to say goodbye. I would come to this place on a very dark, very, very rainy day I would drive up here. Not that it's always like that, but I think it's good to see sort of when you're not here in the winter, it it rained like every day for, I think, six weeks here when I wasn't here. Um, It's a no for me. It's a no. (laughs) A questo, they did drywall. It's paper. This is a death trap, this uh, staircase. In the middle of the night, you go to get a glass of water, and it's like curtains. So we are in a tiny village that is up above La Fortessa. This is a very quiet little hamlet. They call it a borgo, a village. And I have asked Federico to show me a property that I'm interested in. So buying real estate is very, very daunting. It's not as simple as people make it out to be. I am telling you, having said that, I always say this, if you want to do something, you can do it. It's just you have to understand the challenges that are involved. Okay, guys, so let's go. Federico will lead the way after you. Okay. Questo piccolo borgo, borgo medievale. So it's a medieval borgo, a medieval village. Che si chiama Antigo. L'origine probabilmente fino al 1600. In ogni borgo c'era un lavatoio. Every village had a communal, I guess it was a, a wash basin where you would wash your clothes. So they'd all wash their clothes and talk and that, that's what this is here. I asked him if he still does this. He said he prefers a washing machine, and I said, I do as well. This is the house that I'm interested in. It's in disrepair. A noble family had this as their country house. 
300 square meters la casa. The house is 300 square meters. In America, this is about 3,500 square feet. Here's where it gets really sticky. As far as buying it, it's like 150,000 euro. I'm standing here going, I'm not sure that's right. This is like a dreamscape. And he's just telling me stuff. And if I'm a first-time buyer, I'm just like believing everything. But in my head, what I'm doing is I'm actually going through all the things that could go wrong and how much this is going to cost to renovate. Because just looking at this, it's a million. Just to clean it up, it's probably going to be 15,000 to 30,000 euros. It's a hot mess. So then we're just going to start with that. Just to restore the outside, probably 50 to 100. So you're buying it for 150, and just to sort of clean it up, we're talking about 150. That's like with the inside raw and falling down. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so that's 300,000. And we're very quickly going to climb to a million. Look up at this house. I mean, it is awesome. It's a party house, don't you think? We're going inside now, people. Purtroppo è un po' in disordine. Okay, so, so he's warning us that it's a mess. <laughs> so this is the stall. This is a really cool room. I see the light, the size, the dimensions, what can be done. You know, just doing a room like that is probably 70,000 euro. You're starting to add up things in your mind. It is not cheap to renovate in Italy. It's actually expensive. So don't think you can do it for the cheap because you can't. And it's very hard to find good workers here. So you want to pay them well because they do really beautiful work. I mean, they are artists. <laughs> Questo era l'essicatoio dove bruciavano le castagne. Okay, so we talk a lot about chess, that's what I'm cooking. I talk about drying, but I didn't talk about drying rooms. So every house had a drying room in them. In my particular house, my bedroom was the drying room. So that could be like a killer pantry, I'm already thinking. Terrace here, I see it in the, my husband, He thinks one of the fabulous things about me is that I see it, and one of the horrible things about me is I see it. This is the kitchen. My favorite when it's really, really crunchy. The visuals are amazing. Like, yes, you want to renovate it, but to me, this is very beautiful. So many possibilities. I think the ceilings are really low. There are metal beams that run through, so I'm not sure where we can go with the ceiling because I don't know what's above it. This is the living room. Like, I'm very short. There's no hanging lights happening in here for me. As cool as this is, I would probably, myself, would rip this whole thing out. Because you can replicate, you know, this look. The balcony is incredible. And this view is fantastic. We definitely would have to blow all of this out. We'd make it look similar, but we'd do three doors. So you want to maintain the exterior, but in a way that it's functional in the 21st century. They can replicate the casings around the windows for doors so that when you look at the house from the outside, it looks the same. It's just a little bit short. It's not grand enough for me. Right away, as soon as I say that, we're building a whole new terrace and we're talking about at least 50 to 70,000 
like The Shining. Like it's got such a creepiness to it. It was uh, calendar 1990. Yeah. I mean, 1990, because he yeah. said he thought that they probably vacated. Great photo op, though. <laughs> I'm like really looking at this place for reals, people. And um, then there's another room here. Okay, so this is horrifying. I don't even want to go in there. It's so horrific. So this is the bathroom. Wow, this is creepy as hell. I'm taking a picture. Whoa. Yeah, that's super creepy. That's like serial killer. If anybody needs to go. So this is a nice staircase. We would keep this. Mind yourselves. And go slow. Oh, wow. It's really fair to say that this is a renovazione. Abandoned beauty. Oh my god, this is so cool. This photo, look at this photo. Look at this photo. It's crazy. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy manoli cannolis. This room I love. So, this is to me the master bedroom. Done. This thing is amazing. It's to store cheese and salami, salumi. It's screen, so it gets, you know, air circulation, but the mice and the bugs can't get to it. And then, um, I mean, this I would definitely keep, of course. And this thing is amazing. To me, this would go right down into the kitchen. There are artisans that can renovate this for me. So you just move it down to the kitchen, you renovate it, you put a marble top on it. I am so crazy. I would do all my research about this place. I would say, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on it. And the only reason I would do that is so that I could get that piece. This could be a really fun project for somebody. It's like a three-bedroom, three-bathroom house. 4,000 square feet is what I think it is. Very livable, very doable. You know, if you're very frugal, 750 to renovate it. I think a million is probably super fair. My producer's like, he renovates houses. He's like, more. <laughs> Federico mentioned that the house next door was for sale, and that was 20,000 euro. So you could actually buy the entire property for 170,000 euro. This house is for sale. This is not for sale. And the thing about a village is everything's sort of connected, so it makes it a little more confusing as to what's yours and what's theirs. So you always have to ask. This is when Frank gets nervous, because this is just a facade. Quanto costa questo? Fantastic, 25,000 euros. Um, this would probably also cost about, I mean, this whole project would probably, you know, in total be like 575, I would think. I think if you had a budget of 575,000, you could do this. I mean, the view is killer. It's that same cute Borgo Antico. I love it here. Frank and I walk up here all the time. Now I know the prices, so it's dangerous. <laughs> 
just get this. Let's just get it. So thanks for watching my new show with Federico. <laughs> Let's look at some garbagey gorgeousness. <laughs> uh, thanks for it. thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll we'll see you next time. If you've made it to the end of this video, we really appreciate it. And please don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you so much. Vera, would you say that Americans tend to have a little different approach to shopping for property here in Italy than Italians do? Oh, it's totally different. Like everything we do here in Italy is different. You know that. Yeah. And I think we, we tend to turn everything into like entertainment and a production, especially, especially something like this. Isn't it fun to hear the way an American sort of approaches this compared to an Italian? It is. It most definitely is. Uh, well, that was fun. And Annette, I'd like to thank you again so much for your time today and that fantastic interview that you shared with us. Vera, I'd also like to thank you, all that wonderful information you shared with us about the region of Tuscany. You've got me hungry for cinghiale. I'm going to come and have some wild boar with you and a nice glass of Chianti Classico. Oh, yeah. As soon as I'm in my new house, you'll come over with Alessandro for a nice dinner. Absolutely. And by the way, you know that wonderful bottle of olive oil that you gave me when you came? Uh-huh. Almost gone. Yeah. So that means it's time to make a trip to Tuscany to get some more Tuscan olive oil. And you have to do that mid-November because that's when the new oil, so the fresh pressed olive oil comes out. And it's so green and so powerful. It's the best so just the very first few weeks after it's fresh pressed so i'll see you all here in tuscany in a month or so grazie mille a tutti e ciao well wherever you are listening to the sound of our voices today i hope you are healthy and well and we look forward to being back here with you next week for another episode so until then take care god bless ciao ciao ciao